Um, if you go ahead and take your seat. I'm not going to read too much. I'm, I'm going to read as we get into the message today. I'm finishing a message I started last Sunday on the betrayal of Jesus. When Judas, you know, betrays Jesus with a kiss, we, 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 we sort of have know that, that, that portion of Scripture and that concept. And we find ourselves in John chapter 13. And actually the, the title in my Bible says this, Jesus predicts his betrayal. So I don't want to reteach everything I taught last Sunday, but I'm going to give you a couple little Coles notes snippets so you can feel connected to today's message. But today I'm going to focus on this. How do we deal with betrayal? And, and of course, we look at Christ. We look at what, how he dealt with it. We're going to look at some other portions of Scripture to really solidify this in our hearts and lives. You know, I, it, I, don't, I don't have to be a prophet to know this. You've all been betrayed by someone or something. Come on. What, was it years ago, what was the company? Enron, who had, had betrayed hundreds and, and thousands of employees by going bankrupt and losing all their money, and there was a big scam, and people lost all their, 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 their retirement, everything. So they were betrayed by a company. People can be betrayed by a friend. You can be betrayed by a family member. I don't need to go through the list of possible betrayals, but you sort of see the point. Betrayal can happen everywhere. I've, I've said this for many years. The reason divorce is so painful is because you've given your all to something or someone. And when that comes apart, it's painful. There's a ripping, there's a tearing. That's part of betrayal. You know, and I said this last Sunday, this is a bit of my, to bring you up to speed. You know, one of the portions of scriptures in there, it says that Jesus was troubled in spirit by the betrayal of Judas. See, for me, that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing portion of scripture because it actually shows the humanity of Christ. He wasn't just like, well, that's okay. I've been betrayed. <laughs> Suck it up. No, he says, no, that hurt. And I said this last week, and it's worth repeating. It's worth repeating and reminding yourself. The reason we hurt when betrayal comes and betrayal happens is because we've given ourselves. Listen, the more you give to a situation, a person, a place, or a thing, the greater the betrayal hurts, the more you feel the betrayal. So let me say this. It's okay to hurt. Come on. It's okay to hurt. It's actually healthy to hurt. It's unhealthy to say, well, that didn't hurt. I'm going to forget that. No, no. Do you know what that kind of response does? That kind of response hardens us. And we become hard towards people. And when we become hard towards people, then we're not open to people. Because the other response of bringing betrayal, but here's, the, here's the choice we have. Bring the betrayal to God or deal with it myself. Do you know how you and I deal with betrayal? We say, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. I won't be fooled a third time. So what's our response? We just keep back. So we don't let anybody too close. We don't let anything too close. We just keep everybody and everything at arm's length. And we think, we think, here's the, here's the fallacy of it, we think we're protecting ourselves. We say, this is how I protect myself. It's just us. It's just me. It's just me and my kids. I'm going to protect this. No, you can never protect it because what you think you're protecting, you're actually losing. Because the moment we close ourselves off to people, we lose life. Amen. We lose life. 
We lose intimacy with people. We, lo we lose honesty with people. And then we, we, we live a life that becomes bitter. And we look back on our life and we say, ah, oh. and, 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 and we think, we think we're, we're hurting the person who's hurt us. No, to respond like that, to close ourselves off, we're actually just hurting ourselves long term. So here's how we, we have to, so I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but I'm going to give you, I'm giving you, trying to give you context. So it's okay to hurt. Jesus hurt. Jesus was upset. Jesus was troubled that Judas would do this to him. But I think that's, that's a good place for us to, to, to be. And I would say this, don't let betrayal, hurt, pain, mistakes, your mistakes or other people's mistakes, don't let them, don't let them harden you. Don't let them steal life from you. Don't let them steal the joy of life from you. Because there's such joy in life. You know, the, the longer I live, the more I realize this. The real joy in life, and it's a true statement, the greatest things in life are free. Come on. The greatest things in life are free. The things that mean most, the things that are most giving to you, the things that are most alive to you are your friends, your family, your relationships. Most people lying on their deathbed aren't going to say, Wahoo, I, bought a, I got a Ferrari. <laughs> okay, good for God bless you. I, I might like to cruise around in your Ferrari for a day or two. But, but those aren't the things we remember. We remember the people. We remember the things. We, we, remember, we remember what the things did. We remember the time we went away somewhere and we enjoyed each other's company. That's what we remember. Don't lose that. Don't let betrayal steal that from you. Because that's what betrayal is trying to do. It's a selfish little thing, betrayal. It wants you to hurt immediately and it wants to steal your future. It's greedy. So don't let betrayal steal from you too much. Amen? All right. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John 13. If not, you can look on the screen. And where are we going to pick up? Let's pick up in verse, 21, uh, verse 20. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples, verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. I, I, I kind of love that in some ways because there's this innocence you see with amongst the disciples. They're just like, you know, everyone just loves Jesus and they're, they're just, they're oblivious to the fact that somebody could possibly betray Christ. Because what they've seen of Christ for these last three, three and a half years, because now we're at the tail end of his life and ministry. We're like so close to the cross. These guys have been with him for three and a half years. So to them, it's, it's mind-boggling that someone who had spent that much time, had been that close, could possibly even think about, about betraying Jesus. Yet Jesus sees something. Jesus sees into us. And sometimes that can be a scary thing. But on the other times, it's relieving. Come on, just accept this reality. Christ knows you completely. And you know what I've come to realize? He even knows me better than I know myself. Because I think I know myself pretty good. He knows me better. 
And he knows, given a certain situation, a certain circumstance, he knows I'm going to do what's in here to do. So how do we deal with betrayal? How do we begin to, to walk this out? Verse 22, his disciples stared at each other. Verse 23, one of them, and I love this, we talked about this last Sunday, but I can't not read these verses without making a couple small comments. Verse 23 says this, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Now, that person is John, the writer of this gospel. So there's a powerful picture here, and I, I spent a good portion of time last Sunday on this. There's this beautiful picture of the apostle John lying, because you've got to remember, they're lying on the floor, relaxed, eating a meal around, around a table that's maybe this high off the ground. So it's, it's very comfortable. It's lying there. I'm not saying I'd be comfortable lying on the floor eating. I like to sit up and eat so I can get more in. So I'm not sure. But maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. But you see this picture of comfort, of ease. And there's John lying next to Jesus eating. And it says, and I love what he says. He says, one, uh, verse 20, 23, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's interesting because John is saying that about himself. Isn't that something? He's saying, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Now, I don't think John was saying this. I don't think John said, I'm the disciple Jesus loves the most. I don't think that's what John's saying. I think he's saying this. I think John had a realization, Jesus really loves me. And I think the rest of them really hoped Jesus loved them. But when they looked at John, they said, oh man, Jesus really loves him. Now, did that make John special? Was John better than them? No. John just had the courage or the, or, or the simplicity, I don't know which one, to say, Christ loves me as I am. I can lie next to him. I can ask him. Because then we see something powerful happens in verse 24. Simon Peter motions to this disciple, John, and asks him which one he means. So you got to get the picture. There's Jesus lying there. He makes this announcement, one of you are going to betray me. John is lying there next to him. Peter's over here, and Peter says, John, John, ask him. Ask him which one. Who does he mean? Isn't it interesting? Isn't that powerful that Peter doesn't just say, hey, Jesus, which, which one? No, but he has to go through John. Listen, love will always determine the level of what you can ask someone. If you know you're loved by someone, and when I mean love, I mean you are accepted as you are. You can ask that person anything. Come on. There's no barrier. There's, there's nothing. And you know what else? Other people see that love. Other people can witness that love. So I don't think it's coincidence that Peter points at John and says, John, ask him. Because I think all of them saw, man, John has something with Jesus. John has this intimacy with Jesus. John just asks him anything he wants. And Jesus answers him. I'm not sure he would answer me like that. And why? Because John knew he was loved. Friends, that's the power of the gospel. To know we are loved by God. That doesn't excuse that we need forgiveness. See, when I say I'm loved for God, it doesn't mean I'm perfect and I do everything right. No, John wasn't perfect. John was still a human being. John still messed up. But what John realized is, in spite of this, Christ still loves me. That's the power of the gospel. 
Verse 20, uh, 24, Simon Peter motioned to his dis this disciple and, asked, and said, ask him which one he means. Look at this, verse 25. Leaning back against Jesus, he asks him, Lord, who is it? And I said this last Sunday. This, this is a powerful picture here. You see this emotion. You see this connection. This is one grown man leaning against another grown man and saying, hey, who is it? And you have to think, th th there's, this, there's this dynamic going on of what's happening between us. Why would someone want to betray Christ? Is it even possible? Yet John feels the courage to ask. So I, I, I love that. Verse 25 sa 26 says this, Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the dish of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him. Now here's, here's where we're going to begin. This is today's, the beginning of today's message. That was all a wrap-up from last Sunday. As soon as he took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him. What you're about to do, do quickly. Now, that's a powerful statement. And here's our first point of how we deal with betrayal. What, you do, what you're about to do, do quickly. And I think it's such a beautiful picture because I, I, I read various translations of that statement. What you're about to do, do quickly. Here's what's how some of the translations of that read. Do what you have to do. Another translation says this, what you are going to do, do quickly. Another translation said, what you are bent on doing, do quickly. What you are planning to do, do quickly. Another translation said this, what's in your heart to do, do quickly. My first point of how to deal with betrayal is this, understanding human beings, you and I included, will always do what's biggest and greatest in our heart to do. We do what's in our heart. So when Jesus looks at Judas, he says, Judas, this is in your heart. The betrayal is in your heart. He says, so go do it. Just go do it quickly. That kind of troubles me a little bit. I wish, I hope, I pray if there's something crazy in my heart, if there's something wrong going on in my heart, I'm not sure I want Jesus looking at me and saying, go do what's in your heart to do. I hope Christ would say, stop. Don't do it. But you know what's interesting? Jesus doesn't even attempt to stop him. Come on. He says, go do. Do you know what I've realized in life? I've, I've, I've had the privilege of pastoring for over 20 years, almost 25 years, believe it or not. I know, I did not start at nine. Some of you think I started at nine. I didn't start at nine. Over 25 years. And you know what I've realized? There's some things I could never convince people not to do. There were some things I convinced people not to do. There were some things I prayerfully prayed people wouldn't do. But not everyone responded the way I thought they should. 
And here's the thing I've realized. Sometimes you have to just let people go to do what's in their heart to do. Doesn't mean you stop loving them. Doesn't mean you stop caring for them. Doesn't mean you, st you stop praying for them. No, no, no. When you release someone like that, you will find yourself praying for them more. See, hey, if that's in your heart, go do it. I, 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 my, the way I read scripture, you're, you're an heir here. We speak the truth in love to one another. We talked about that last Sunday. You show the scripture, but ultimately, go do it. Unfortunately, there's going to be some rough consequences. But you know what? God is even in those consequences. So we're going to love you through this. We're going to care for you through this. We're going to pray for you through this. But go do it. And let me tell you something. That is hard to do when you love the people. Because you don't want to see them hurt. You don't want to see them in pain. So how do you and I deal with betrayal? Number one is this. To realize that sometimes people can't even help it when they betray you. They can't help it because it's in them. It's what they, it, they're bent on it. And I, that, that one translation said they were convinced, they were bent on it. We will do what's in our heart to do. So number one, how do we deal with betrayal? Understand this, people have hearts that need regeneration. People's hearts are not pure. People's hearts are not perfect. Listen, don't, I always get worried when people say, oh, I just do what's in my heart to do. My goodness, your heart will take you some crazy places. Come on. Don't always just follow your heart. That's not what the Bible says. The, the Bible says the heart is deceptively wicked above all things. So what we have to follow is the Word of God. We have to follow Christ. So sometimes your heart can be so drawn towards something, but you say, yeah, yeah, but you know what? I submit to the Bible. I trust Christ instead. Even though my heart seems to want this thing, we have to be careful what we want. So how do we deal with betrayal? Just like John, number one, stay close to Jesus and lean against his body. There's two answers there. Stay close to Jesus and lean against his body. Friends, it's not enough it's not enough to say it's me and Jesus. It's not enough to say it's me and Christ. I just go, every time something happens, I go to Jesus and I pray and I take it to Jesus. That's part of the solution. But the other part of the solution is, as John did, lean into Jesus. Well, who is the body of Christ? The church. We are the body of Christ. So how do we deal with betrayal? Number one, realizing this, human beings are not perfect. We have some corruption still lingering in here. I wish I could stand up here and say, my heart is pure and perfect in every circumstance. That would not be true. My heart can be swayed and pulled, and this is life. This is, this is what wor the world tries to do. It always tries to pull our hearts somewhere else other than God. That's the, that's the design of this world. So lean on Jesus. If you've been betrayed, if you've been hurt, go to Christ with it. Take it to Jesus. But the second thing is, take it to some people. Find someone, somewhere, where you can lean your head. You need a place to lean your head. You need a place where you find rest and comfort in people. Now listen, 
I could talk on this all day. That doesn't mean you find that in every person. That's not how it works. You find that in someone, some people. And the body of Christ is the place that has to be. I, 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 don't, I don't need people in my life. Now, God forgive me. Take this, take this as I say it. I don't need people in my life who just appease me. Come on. I want people who encourage me, who challenge me, and who help me. And take me back to the scripture and say, yeah, yeah, you've been hurt. We can acknowledge that. We see the pain. We see the betrayal. But you know what? Now it's time to get up and love and forgive. That's what those are the kind of people you need. And I'll tell you, if you have Christ as your center, and if you have people you can lean on, you will be okay. You will get through it. But if you just have Christ, and I, I, I know this sounds controversial. I don't mean to make it sound controversial. I want you to get the picture of the church. If all you say is, I have Christ, I have Jesus, it's, it's me and Jesus, I actually mourn for you. Because you're missing out on the body. You're missing out on the arms. You're missing out on the ear. You're missing out on people's hands holding you and, and, and helping you through. You're missing out on this. This is the body of Christ. If you don't have that, God bless you for having Jesus. Jesus is the everything. But he gives the body something powerful to be. The body. The body. Amen? So let's be that for one another. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says this. Why do we say stay close to Jesus? Hebrews 13, 5, just for a quick reference. Do you have Hebrews 13, 5, Marco? There it is. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Another, another translation says, never will I betray you. So why do, we, why do we say the first point of how to deal with betrayal is what? Stay close to Jesus. Why? He will never betray you. Christ, no matter, no matter how much we may mess up, no matter how much we may make bad decisions and bad choices and, and have different thoughts, God will never forsake us. Amen? That's the promise. So this is why we can stay close to him. All right. Um, where are we doing? The second one, stay close to Jesus. All right, let's, uh, go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. And this is why we need to recognize we need new hearts. Hebrews 10, 16 says this, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. Now, what did, Ju what did Jesus say to Ju Judas? He said, Judas... Go do what's in your heart to do. What, is, what does Christ give us a promise here? He says, there's a time coming where I will put my laws into their hearts and I will write them on their minds. What's the context there? What's the point of that scripture? Because it sounds a little funny. The point is this. We need something to change on the inside of us. Something in here has to change. Because if I'm just bent on doing what's in my heart to do, God realizes this, then we need new hearts. We need something on the inside to be new. So Jesus says this, there's coming a day where I'll put my laws into their hearts. And the laws won't just be on a Ten Commandments slab of, of stone. 
It's not just going to say, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. But he says this, I'm going to put that in your heart. So inside of you, you'll actually not want to lie. You'll actually not want to steal. Not because the Ten Commandments says, don't lie. I think we would all agree it's good not to lie. If one of you agree it's not good to lie, the rest aren't sure. There's a circumstantial no. Come on, how many people think it's good not to lie? There you go. See, now, if we just say, the Bible says don't lie, that's not enough. That doesn't help us. No, no, we have to, we have to understand this. That has to get inside of me. That has to get, so I say, you know what? I lied the other day. I, I don't know why I felt stupid, but it was a stupid lie. And all of a sudden, this, this, this thing rises up, and you say, well, why would I think that? Because Christ is writing something on your heart. And then the thing will happen like this. Someone will hurt you, and you'll get angry, and you'll, be, you'll get offended, and you won't want to forgive them. And then something in your heart will say, ah, I should probably forgive them. I don't know why I got so angry. I should just let it go. Yeah, yeah. That's the God. That's God writing something on your heart. You come into a situation where people have treated you poorly, and you say, oh, that person treated me so bad. I, I, I don't know why they I did nothing to deserve that. And then you'll realize, ah, I should just let it go. I should turn the other cheek. I can love them. God, why, do I, why is this love for them rising in me? That's God writing his laws on your heart. Friends, what, what this verse tells us in, in, in the book of Hebrews is that's the born-again heart. That's something that God does in us. Listen, you can quote the Ten Commandments till the cows come home, and it's not going to get in your heart if you don't get a new heart from God. You can then, you say, don't lie. Oh, and you'll be the biggest, loudest voice in the room. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't covet your neighbor's things. Oh, you'll be so loud and so boisterous. People will be, oh, they're so holy. No, no, they're just, they're more messed up because they're trying to cover up their messed upness. Is messed upness a word? My wife would, my wife would correct me if it's not. But you see how that works? Because religion, religion wants to shout. It needs to shout. You ever notice that? It always needs to shout something. I'm shouting now, like demonstrating religion. But Christ is in our heart. He says, oh, in our heart, I can forgive that person. In my heart, I can turn the other cheek. In my heart, I can forgive. I can forget. I can move on. That's the born-again heart. So when Jesus looks at, 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 at Judas and says, Judas, go do what's in your heart to do, here's the amazing thing. He knew exactly what was in his heart. So you know what the truth is, friends? None of us can judge another person completely. None of us. No one in this room has the ability to go, Zoop. none of us. So many times, listen, we turn people over. We say, do what's in your heart. My hope and prayer for us is this, that God's word is in our heart, that God is doing something in our heart. Amen? Verse Hebrews um, Chapter 8, verse 10. i got to close. Hebrews 8, verse 10. It says this. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, 
look at this, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. That's the work of God. Anything else is human nature. Anything else is religion. God must do something in me. If there's going to be real change in my life or in your life, it has to be a work of God. Amen? Not a work of Randy. I, I, I don't want to try to change myself. It's brutal and hard, let alone trying to change you. Come on. Come on. We know that to be true. We know it's hard to change ourselves, yet it's so easy to tell everyone else what to do and how to change. I know nobody in the room does that but me. See, that's the reality. No, no, I want God to do something. I want to trust him. All right, so how do we deal, deal with betrayal? How do we deal with it? Number one, we realize this. People have hearts of flesh. We realize that people will always do what's in their heart. And our hearts are not always pure. Our hearts are not always perfect. Number two, we stay close to Jesus and close to his body. Number three, how do we deal with betrayal? And this is the big one. I'm going to spend the last, I got to steal a couple minutes past 12, but it's worth it. Here we go. How do we deal with betrayal? Knowing God is in it. Here we go. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. Look at this. It says, and we know that in all things, everybody say all things. That includes betrayal. That includes hurt. That includes all the times in your life where you've given your everything and people have thrown it in your face. That's what this includes. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Keep that as a foundation in your mind. Go with me to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, verses 18 to 21. Genesis chapter 50, and I'm going to move quickly, but I want you to get the context, is the life of Joseph. Joseph, the coat of many colors. How many people know that little story? You've watched that cartoon with your kids and grandkids. What was Joseph's story? Well, his dad has a dream, or Joseph has a dream. He has a dream that his, his brothers, he's the youngest, his brothers are bowing down to him and worshiping him. A little bit silly, Joseph goes and tells his brothers. He says, hey, I had a dream that you were all worshiping me. Ah. You know, it's probably not a good thing to tell your older brothers. I have six older brothers. That doesn't go over well. You're just going to keep that to yourself. But Joseph does this. He's just proud of it. So what happens? They're out taking care of the sheep, and they're tired of Joseph. And his dad treats Joseph a little bit special. Now, maybe it's because he was the youngest and he was the last. We don't know. We just, but his dad treated him a little bit extra special. That doesn't help Joseph with all his older brothers. So his brothers are a little bit angry about that as well. So what happens? They say, you know what? We're done with this kid. So they, they throw him in a pit and they take his coat and they kill a lamb and they sprinkle blood and then they, their whole plan is to leave him in the pit to die. Now, now, I don't know if you can get much harsher betrayal than your own brothers. This is his life. Then a caravan's coming along and they say, hey, you know what? Why waste him? Let's sell him to the traders. They'll go, they'll go sell him off somewhere. We'll make some money. He's a young, strong kid. Come on, we can get a good buck for him. So they pull him out of the pit, clean him up a little bit, sell him to the slave trader. Off he goes. Then he gets bought by, 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 a, by, a, by a person, and he's doing well, taking care of the whole house. 
the person's wife decides that Joseph looks pretty good. My husband's away a lot. You fill in the blanks. And Joseph runs. He says, I can't do this. He says, I can't betray my master. So he takes off, but she grabs him as he's fleeing and grabs his coat. And his coat rips and leaves it behind. And then she accuses Joseph of doing whatever your mind had decided there. And he says, no, 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 I didn't do that. I would never betray you. He gets thrown in prison. So not only is he betrayed by his brothers, now he's betrayed by his, his master, now he's in prison, but he keeps having dreams. He has these God dreams. And this, these other guys are in prison, and he has a couple dreams. And, and, and they have dreams. And Joseph says, yeah, God's given me this ability to interpret dreams. Do you want me to interpret, interpret your dream? Yeah, interpret my dream. He says, well, in three days, the king's going to kill you. Pharaoh's going to kill you. And in three days, you're going to be restored. <laughs> so <laughs> the one guy's not so happy. In three days, he gets killed. Three days later, the other guy gets restored. He says to the guy who's about to be restored, he says, now, don't forget me. Tell, bring my name up to the king. Come on, I helped you. Doesn't say nothing to, the, to, to Pharaoh about him. He's left in prison. I'm giving you the Coles Notes version on this. This man went through some wicked betrayal. Finally, the king's having dreams. Can't figure him out. And they say, who's going to interpret this dream? So they, they call all the different, different people from all over the land and say, who can interpret dreams? I can interpret dreams. I can interpret dreams. And the, king's like, and the pharaoh's like, no, you haven't interpreted that dream right. And finally, they, the, the, I think it was the baker, he says, oh, there was a man I met in prison. He could interpret dreams. He's like, bring him here. So they pull, they pull him out of prison. And, and he's so, so wise, Joseph. He cleans himself up before he goes in front of the Pharaoh. He doesn't just go there all dirty and, and messy from being in prison for eight years. Cleans himself up, presents himself to Pharaoh. He says, what's your dream? And, and he tells him the dream. He says, let me tell you what that dream means. That dream means there's going to be seven years of plenty in your land. The crops are going to produce so much, and it's going to be so wonderful, and it's going to be a huge harvest, bumper crops for seven years. He says, but then there's going to come seven years of famine where your crops are going to produce nothing. He says, what you need to do is prepare during the seven years of plenty for the seven years of lack. And Pharaoh is so happy, he puts him in charge of this whole plan. And Joseph becomes the second in command in all of Egypt to Pharaoh. Now we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 50. Are you ready? His brothers then come, because you've got to remember, this famine affected everyone, so his family was affected by this famine. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Obviously, they probably had the thought, oh my goodness, He's going to really get us for what we, what we did to him. He says, don't be afraid. I, I, am I in the, in the place of God? So he asks the question. He says, am I in the place of God? Verse 20. He says, now look at this. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Friends, we end with this. Can God be in your betrayal?
Is there a place for him? Could he be using betrayal in your life to actually accomplish his good? His purpose? You know, I give you Joseph's life in three minutes. That was years. Years he spent in prison. Years he spent as a slave. Years. But, but we, liked, we like 30-minute home renovation shows. I get it. I want to see what the home looked like at the, at the first two minutes, and then I want to see what it looks like at the end after 30 minutes. At 30 minutes, you can renovate your house. We just don't know what six months of editing, but we'll leave that alone. See, we sometimes read these stories, and we miss the depth of it. We miss it. There was deep, deep pain. But you know what we catch at the end? God is in control. Let me, say, let me end with this. Don't waste betrayal. What do I mean by that? Don't waste betrayal by being hurt, by being, not, not just by being hurt, by being bitter, being angry, hardening your heart, keeping people out. No, no, that's wasting your betrayal. Let betrayal finish its work in your life. Let you come to a place where you say, God is in even this. Friends, if God isn't big enough to do good and turn your betrayal into good, then he's not God. God is so big, he can use sin for his glory. That's the lesson of Joseph. That's what it took Joseph years to learn. And I wish, I wish preaching this in five minutes, you and I would get that. Do you know what that been for me? A lifelong lesson that I still haven't completely learned. I'm learning that. I bet you we're all learning that lesson. But look, let's learn this. What God, what you intended, what you intended to harm me. Come on, there haven't been people in your life that have intentionally tried to harm you? He says, what you intended to harm me, look, but God intended it for good. Friends, that means God is superior to the people trying to hurt you. God isn't shocked. So, oh my goodness, I can't believe what you did. Oh, I guess there's nothing to do now. God says, oh no, I knew you were doing that. So I'm going to use that to make this good. Friends, that's the promise of God. Every pain, every hurt, every betrayal, God is using right now in your life for your good and the benefit of those around you. Amen? Bow your head, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you ignite this truth in our hearts and lives. This doesn't make the betrayal hurt less. It doesn't make the betrayal sting less. But Lord, it helps us see through the betrayal. It helps us see to the future. It help us, helps us see some love and some peace and some hope in the pain. So Father, thank you for that. For those in the room who are suffering betrayal, bitter, deep betrayal right now, painful betrayal, Holy Spirit, I thank you for comforting those right now who are going through that pain of, and, that, and that pain of, of betrayal. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen.